this is going to the Shanda for the Goyim thing. So, what do we need to do? Here you've got, it says here, sorry, Harold, but I'm about to reduce our carbon footprint, okay? So, I, I'm not saying we should put a, a pistol to Sippy Livni's head, but I think we should put her feet to the fire in this regard. So, let's talk a little bit of how we're going to solve this problem, if we might, and then we'll go to questions and answers. So, this is a chart which was uh, uh, produced by one of the great a Jewish environmentalist in America. He would maybe define himself, but he's a brilliant professor of physics named Sokolov, okay? And he uh, was uh, has taken this problem of global warming and tried to break it down because the notion is, if you take a look at where we are today, this, by the way, was seen at the very end of uh, Gore's movie, we're here. And if we continue, as usual, we're going to be up to 14 gigatons, okay, uh, per year it's of carbon. That's going to be impossible to reduce. It's just going to be, by then, the icebergs will melt, things will be irreversible. So he said the goal is to get flat path until technologies bring us into a hydrogen economy, another 30 years or so, and then we can see a real decrease in the zero emissions. That's his notion. But he said, seven gigatons, that's too much. That's just unthinkable. So what he does, he broke, broke the seven gigatons of CO2 into seven wedges. That's these little things here. Okay, what's a carbon wedge? You can give me another slide here. Okay, a wedge is a strategy to reduce carbon emissions that grows in 50 years from zero to one gigatons. This area here. The strategy has already been commercialized at scale somewhere. In other words, these are things we can do to save what over time would be a, a, a gigaton of carbon, an un unbelievable amount of emissions. Strategies that exist today, okay? So... Let's talk a little about these wedges. Here are different things that uh, Sokolov says we could do. We can do the whole group of things associated with efficiency, make our buildings more efficient. Appliances, transport, industrial processes, all these things we could be making with much less use of electrical power. Decarbonize electricity. In other words, use natural gas instead of coal. Okay, nuclear power is an option that people are starting to think about. Power from renewables, wind, photovoltaics. Take the carbon out of the electricity. The same thing for fuels, biofuels, things that will, hydrogen is the ultimate dream. When you burn hydrogen, what do you get? H2O, okay? That's great. So that's really where we want to be at the end of the day. So that's for fuels, okay? Then you've got uh, things like taking low carbon electricity, natural sinks. That's the notion that if you plant a tree, a tree exhales oxygen and inhales carbon dioxide. So if you can plant a tree or graze crops which will sequester the carbon and keep it out of the atmosphere, then you can in a sense reverse some of the emissions that we have, okay? We'll talk about that in just a second. And uh, seeding clouds is definitely could help with that. But methane management is the last one where you do things like you go to landfills and instead of letting that go out, you can capture it. So these are some of the notions that he has. And the wedges are... are um, here's just an example of different things that can be done. Some of you are probably doing them already. I'm looking at the lights here at the center. I'm hoping that they are indeed uh, compact fluorescence. But that's unbelievable. One of the things, for example, that's astonishing, standby power. How many of our appliances are you working all day long? We don't even need them. They say a microwave oven uses about 5% of its energy to cook and 95 to say that little uh, digital light on the rest of the time, okay? You could unplug it. 
And then you would save 95% of the energy associated with your microwave oven. Think about that. Okay, and there's so many things. Your computers is the, is the extreme example. That screensaver takes energy, okay? If you could turn it off at night, you would save yourself a whole lot of energy. And the list goes on and on. Computer is a... Uh, I mean, some, uh, some companies say that you have to keep the computer going, otherwise you, you damage your computer. I refrigerate it as if well. They said it's no longer... It used to be with the... the old, I think the newer ones are much... Are much yeah, the hard drives are much stronger than they used to be. Anyway, we don't have as much time, but the point is that you could you could uh, uh, save incredible amounts of energy with that. You could take cars and and do that. In fact, for those of you, I mean, I don't know if they're going to survive the present slump, but up until the last uh, Wall Street disaster, General Motors, which had been anyway in something of a uh, retreating mode, decided to basically gamble the store on the vault. The Volt, the first electronic, electrical vehicle, okay, where you can plug in at night in your house, and if you're going 150 kilometers only, plenty of electricity to get you to and from your commute, okay? Not that many people in the world go more than 150 kilometers every day. Some people do, and they can kick into the gas engine. But otherwise, it's going to be on the market in a year or two. So these things are coming online. Maybe we can take advantage of them, okay? You know, motors have buried it. They got a lot of billions and they buried the whole thing. Well, they're now realizing what a mistake that was. Anyway, the truth of the matter is, is that, like I said, in Israel, because we're not required to do anything, all these kind of carbon wedges are not part of present policy dialogue. I teach a course at Ben-Gurion University on, on public policy and climate change. I had my students do projects. Each one took a wedge. What could Israel do to reduce its carbon footprint? And they're out there. Denmark, 25% of the energy in Denmark today comes from the wind. Okay? Well, we maybe don't have as much area for wind, but we surely could have solar power at that kind of a level. Why is it that all the Israeli entrepreneurs and the solar industry people are building power plants in California, in Spain, in Italy, and not one in Israel? This is Ashanda. Truly Ashanda. Well, there's a, it's slow and it's going to be... Ministry of Environment, it's always the least important and gets no funding and nobody gives a darn. Who is Tippi Libni going to appoint if she, God forbid, makes it? Who, as the Minister of Environment? Well, she'll probably keep Gideon Ezra doing the job. Ministry of, of, of Environment is to appoint political uh, cronies. Right. 80 was a number that uh, Hanegbi appointed. Any political problems. Well. Secondly, secondly, what is why, why do I suggest? I got about three four more minutes. I got three four more minutes, and we'll open it up to discussions. I'll give three four more minutes, and we'll wrap it up. I see people have much to say, and all interesting. Anyway, what I want to point out is that the central government has really punted on this issue, and we should all be very disappointed. There's been practically no leadership. In fact, the minister of environment didn't even go to Bali to head the Israeli delegation. Okay, the one place there is a ray of hope is in local governments. In February 2008, 18 large cities, Israeli cities, I'm talking about the mayors of Tel Aviv and uh, B'nai Brak, not Jerusalem, it's fine, fortunately, uh, Haifa, several other ones, signed a amana, a covenant, to reduce greenhouse gases with the goal of cutting down 20% reduction by 2020 using 2000 as a baseline. Not 1990, but basically getting us to about to 1990 levels. The cities want to do it themselves. Learning from the U.S., 
which had seven years or now almost eight years of a troglodyte environmental president, Bush, who couldn't care less about climate change, and cities like Chicago and Seattle and uh, what's that one south? Uh, Santa Monica was a big leader in America. They said, we're not going to wait for federal leadership. We're going to do it ourselves. And so the mayors have started to talk about this as well. What's their incentive? What's their incentive? It's... Because I'll talk about the end. The incentive is do the right thing. Let's go to the next. I just want to point out some of the things. Now, when we look at the urban profile, how are they going to do this? The only city that has done any serious look at this is Ranana. So I thought you might be interested where they took a look at where their gases are coming from. You can see the pie chart. So uh, 17% is some commercial stuff. You've got 35% from people's homes, what they're consuming electricity. 11% is just from the garbage, the methane of the garbage of the people is almost more than 10%. Transportation, a full third of the city of Ranana is a big commuting bedroom community. So they're the first one to join the International uh, Union of Cities that were due for climate change. They've done an inventory where they now know where their emissions come from. And they've got a master plan. They're going to start trapping the methane. A green building code. They're going to turn all the city's buildings into green buildings. They won't be so wasteful. Uh, and they're starting to do stuff. Kfar Saba also is starting to change all the lights there. They figured they could save 85% of the present electricity on lighting with that as well. Now, it's not clear that they're going to be able to successful because these things take money and the city's budgets are strained. There's political questions. Will they have the actual will to say, you know what, to this company, I'm not going to forego your Arnon and your city taxes. I'd rather meet my greenhouse gas commitment. I'm not clear they'll be able to do that. And it's not clear that the central government will give them the authority, even with the New Clean Air Act. So it's not clear that they're going to have that ability. But all the same, there is one area, and this is where I'm going to wrap up my last uh, presentation, where we also should be hopeful. And I sit on the board of directors of the Keren Kayemet Israel, the Jewish National Fund. We do plant a lot of trees in Israel, and that's some place which makes us unique, 240 million trees in the last years. Now, one of the things I talked about is that Kyoto Accord allows wealthy countries to pay developing countries to offset their carbon emissions. And one of the valid things is to do carbon sequestration, okay? Uh, you could do that voluntarily, where somebody says, oh, I'm flying to America and I feel guilty about all the emissions, so I'm going to plant trees. Or you could do it as a government and get credits towards your Kyoto targets. So the thing about this is, at first we got very excited about this because this is going to be a lot of money involved. People are going to pay us to plant trees. But it's not so clear. Basically, this is what they call the clean development mechanisms, okay? Which involves those kind of uh, developing countries paying that, okay? We can continue on to the next slide. And there's all kinds of projects. Clean energy, capturing greenhouse gases, but there's also these carbon sinks which have been allowed. And we can see now, if we go to the next slide, that there's forests have been defined by the UN as legitimate uh, source of that, but there has to be a tree cover of more than 10 to 30%. Now, why is that a problem? Where are the, the land resources available for afforestation in Israel? In the Negev. And as you get further down the rain gradient, we have what they call savannization. Not clear we have 30% tree cover at all there, okay? Another thing is, the trees cannot have been implanted since 89. You can't go back and say, oh, we planted trees 20 years ago. We want credit. There's got to be new stuff. Most of the areas that are for intense forestry in Israel have been planted. Not all, but a million out of the 1.3 million dunams have been planted, okay? And 
uh, that's for reforestation and afforestation they go back you can't go back more than 50 years you can plant replant something from 55 years though if you want to okay the following thing the major problem is additionality to get credit in the UN system you've got to show these are trees that you wouldn't have planted otherwise and Israel God bless us passed in 1992 a very very ambitious national master plan for forestry which plants 10% of the land of Israel anything within that 10% doesn't count under Kyoto. So although it's important that we do this because we want, it's good for land sovereignty, it's good for recreation, it's not clear that we'll get any kind of an economic bonus. Although China has been the first one to do that. So I want to wrap up my presentation by saying the following things, okay? That today, the national government of Israel does not really have a climate change policy. And I think this is a disgrace and I think we have to raise our voices that the single most the paramount ecological challenge this planet faces is somehow irrelevant to Israel. With all of our talk about being a good international citizen, maybe we deserve some of that censure that we get at the UN if we can't meet this kind of international challenge as countries like Cyprus are meeting it, even though their economy is far, far less developed than our own. The technologies exist. You go around the world and you can see all these countries are doing exciting things and where are we? We're way behind. We don't have the political will. Now, the, the good news is, I suppose, is that eventually we're going to have to do this. Israel would like to be a member of the OECD, and the people in the OECD are not friars. They're not suckers. They're not going to let us continue to get this bonus while they really uh, strangle their economies to meet these kind of greenhouse gas goals. And Israel continues to produce and go the path of least resistance. It's not going to work. And what's clear is that the next meeting of the of the uh, the convention is in Poland, but in 2009, they'll meeting in Copenhagen, and it's going to be the post-Kyoto Protocol, and Israel is not going to get off the hook this time. So I would suggest, rather than being, I always say, liken it to the case of the Titanic, we can be like that captain of the Titanic, knowing that we're going to be hitting that iceberg, and the band can keep playing, and we're going to get this incredible crash, and all of our economies, you know, is going to be in disarray, or we can start making the changes now and maybe avoid that iceberg and that unfortunate crack, uh, crack okay? Public involvement is critical to making this happen. And I'll um, tell you a quick story just to, uh, when I was chairman of the Umbrella Organization of Environmental Groups, we had the same Tzachi Negbi as uh, the minister, as we heard, who liked to appoint his friends to positions. And when he first came on the job, he had a gathering of all the environmental groups and he asked five of us, to give him a blessing for his new job. And I said, I'm not going to give you a blessing. I'm going to tell you 10 things I would do if I was the Minister of Environment. And the third thing I said is we should voluntarily take on a carbon ceiling under Kyoto. Okay? And he said, you know, I gave all these reasons why. And he called me back a few days later and I was really surprised he took it so seriously. He said, alone, you know, I, I checked this out, but I just I found out, you know, the United States hasn't signed the Kyoto Protocol. We can't be ahead of the United States, okay? And I said to him, no, we can, okay? Because I expect more from the Jewish state. And although there are compelling economic reasons in the medium and short run why we should do that, that most of these things are what we call no regrets, that when you build a house that's energy efficient, in the end you're going to save a lot of money in the long term. But that's not why we're doing this. We're doing this so we can look our children in the eye and say... This planet is in trouble, and the Jewish state is doing the right thing. Thank you very much.
any questions? Yeah, we ask a few questions. <coughs> One, since we're not going to get any money, as you said, from uh, the uh, incentive, then I don't know if that's the way we have to go. What we have to do is be cognizant of Israel's priorities. She certainly can clean coal, which she has not done efficiently. Uh, the United States has gone way ahead, and we can use their technology. <coughs> Secondly, I don't see one nuclear plant being thought of here in Israel, and that's a very, very uh, easy way to uh, have clean energy. Thirdly, what is wrong with desalination? Why haven't we built there on the books that we should? Okay, those are good questions. First of all, I agree with you on the clean coal. On the nuclear issue, it's very complicated. Some of the great ecological icons of our era, people like uh, uh, James Love, uh, 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 Joyce, Lace, the uh, ecologist, wrote a whole book saying the environmental movement got the nuclear issue wrong. We should have been doing that. However, for many years, a lot of us were concerned about nuclear power plants, A, because the the uh, residuals are uh, problematic. What are we going to do? Are we going to leave the future generations with plutonium for 70,000 years? And let's just imagine if we had a nuclear power plant in the Haifa Bay, how we would have felt two summers ago when the Hezbollah was pounding us, okay? In other words, we know, we know from the Gulf War when Dimona got hit by so many scuds in the, uh, from Iraq that they are targeting nuclear power plants. And you can put it underground or whatever, but I'm not so sure, having seen what happened in Chernobyl, and there are plenty of Israelis who were raised in Chernobyl, that that's a smart way to do it. We haven't even tried to play the, the solar card yet. Okay, We haven't tried. Let's go back to the nuclear plants. Pakistan is having China build two nuclear plants. Pakistan has the bomb. Everybody knows it. She's engaged in semi-warfare with India all the time. I haven't heard one voice from the environmentalists saying this is going to be disastrous if something happens. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I don't see Pakistan as a country that I want to emulate in any way. So um, uh, what you're saying is true. And the environmental movement uh, should be much more uh, vociferous in its... It's concerned about some of these places, but that's not a reason to. Now, the last thing you asked was about desalination. And the last point I want to make about that is that the desalination plant in Ashkelon produces, takes the same amount of energy as a city as 50,000 people. Now, that's not huge, but it's not trivial. So what we need to do, if you ask me, is think about, and they're starting to do this in Australia, how do we build this next generation of desal plants where we use energy which is renewable? Okay, and that's one of the, the key things that I think we need to think about is that if we would charge 60 cents for a thousand liters of water, which would still be incredibly cheap, instead of 50 cents, we could build offshore wind power and we wouldn't have to have any problems. You could shower all you wanted, take all the hot water, you wouldn't have any problems. Well, because we don't have people in power that care about this. I mean, you ask me, I'm going to be starting a new political party on these issues, on the environmental issues. One of the things that we say, in the same way that every country in Europe has, is that there will not be any more coal-fired plant in Israel. This government, three months ago, passed a coal-fired plant. Yes, please. What was the Well, it's, it's conventional energy right now. There is a... Coal? Yeah, coal from Ashkelon. I mean, there is a natural gas co-generation facility on site, never been used. 
Yes, please. Why? Yes, ma'am, in the back. Um, in terms of the status of Israel being a developed country, is that, when you say it's going to change in the next... Uh, most people anticipate that Israel will have to change, yes. And then, so some of these scenarios will have to start... Um, or we'll have to buy a lot of carbon credits on the international market. And those credits are going to be very expensive as other countries start looking... That will create a political will, possibly. Can I... Well, do I think it will create wealth? The political will that you say is lacking. I think there's... Well, you know, we do a lot of things sometimes because the international community expects us to do it and sometimes it's good that they expect us. A lot of our, you know, environmental standards are because we've sort of gotten into the international community. We have a lot of hands up. I've got a hand in the back and then you. Yes, please, sir. One of the things that Hitler is far ahead of the U.S. and is using the solar for hot water. That's correct. Yeah, Israel was the first country in 1972 to make all new buildings that were eight stories or less have hot water heaters on the roof. That's part of our building code. And that is saved, what they say, about 3% of the energy electricity. And when that law was passed, that was Israel's finest and only moment as an innovator in, in electricity. We had the, the Luz electricity plant here in Jerusalem for, for many years, and they built the first power plant for 50,000 people out in... Uh, in, in the deserts of California, not one watt did they produce in Israel. So we did have this, and I, one day I'll have to find the time, I'll try to go back and figure out who was the crazy, you know, it wasn't the Minister of Interior at that time, but somebody in the clerk got this notion that we could do this. It was Nobody did a cost-benefit analysis. They said, we've got sun, sounds like an idea, let's do it. And that's sort of what we have to think about. That kind of chutzpah, that kind of tuzah or temerity, if you will, which says we're going to push the technologies forward. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, uh, just a few things. The uh, international organization that uh, uh, developed countries that we're supposed to join, we want to join in a few years, if we don't uh, start meeting a quota, we'll be fined at least $300 million uh, a year. Then uh, uh, why don't we go back to what happened in Jerusalem before 48, when every home had a, uh, had a cistern? Uh, that might help a little. And of course, we can take a lot of lessons from even Chicago, where uh, a lot of businesses have solar um, uh, devices on the on the roofs, even retail uh, uh, businesses. And of course, there's this, this uh, Sunday com- company um, that uh, is advertising, if, uh, but they want uh, a roof that has 200 uh, square uh, meters, and, and most uh, roofs in, in in Israel, the apartment houses. Let me let me just tell the people what you're what you're talking about because they one of the things that has happened is that in 19, 2002, the Israeli government cabinet made a decision that by 2007, 2% of the energy had to be uh, renewable in Israel. Today, we're at 0.1%. So uh, Fuad, Fuad Ben Eliezer, our Minister of Infrastructure, decided he had to do something. So he learned from, actually it was a policy pioneered in Japan and Germany, and they have now a feed-in tariff. If you are able to put a photovoltaic panel on your roof, okay, you can sell the energy for two shekels uh, a, a kilowatt, okay? Which is four times more than you pay for it when you buy it, okay? So which is 50 agarot is what you pay. It's one of the cheapest electricities in the world. But So there's this huge bo- bo- bonus to, to go out and do this. In fact, uh, we had all of our neighbors into our sukkah 
because we live in a building and we measure the roof and we have 200 meters, we could actually do this because we need a certain critical mass to make this happen. So the, the truth of the matter, this is not going to be a solution for Israel's energy needs. It's a psychological kind of thing to get us thinking in the right uh, direction. Yes, please, in the what back. About, uh, what about waves? There's been talk about, uh, about uh, using, uh, using the waves. I heard that England actually had some very favorable findings. I'm not an expert. I, I have to defer. And as maybe. far as wind, wind goes, there's been a lot of uh, confusion or discussion that it, it might be uh, too dangerous because of the migration of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of birds. We are one of the major uh, world centers for uh, migration. That's true, but, but because of the height of the, these, which are not usually... Usually these birds fly over the migrating birds over 200 meters high. We don't have the, we don't have them that you high. You mentioned um, wind uh, wind power over uh, in the sea. How how are you going to do that by having islands or? Well, you could. There's offshore is how they do it with all kinds of. Um, same with you drill oil with all these uh, kind of things. Some people suggest uh, artificial islands, but I think there's ways to go offshore. We have sort of um, pontoons or kinds of platforms, and the same way that you sort of have a drilling. Yes, and then back and yes after you, sir. It would seem to me that in order to really get anything done in this field, that it has to really grip the public. In other words, you have to have a mass dedication and appreciation of the problem. And the only way I guess that can be done is by extremely thorough education. Now, mm-hmm. what is the state with children of educating them for environment? The second point, and one more. I think we may have something bad come out of our Talmudic tradition. At least uh, the major Talmudic centers, the Talmud study focuses on being very clever and innovative, but all on a theoretical weapon. Not to get things actually done, but the Jews were ones who were smart. They understood things. Well, one could argue that no religion is more behavior and, and action-based than ours without demand for mitzvot, so I don't know. I've seen this at least in one case, is that Israeli institutions are very good at making studies of things and uh, writing books about them, but they're not oriented to action. The prime example is the Jerusalem College of Technology. They had a magnificent solution for the Shemitah problem to simply, for one year, have the government support that the people who are normally farmers instead would have like a sabbatical where they would learn well how to minimize water consumption, use it well, and then be sent all over the world as ambassadors to do this in the name of Israel. And uh, when I asked them, why don't you do something about it? So the reply I got from the president, well, we're, we're research people. We're not doers. Mm-hmm. That's not the function of an academic institution. Mm-hmm. And I think that attitude is extremely... Well, we'll certainly agree with that. Okay, one more. I just wanted, regarding your question about education... We have with us Rabbi uh, Karmi Weissman, who's one of the uh, leaders of the uh, one of the innovative environmental education groups in Israel. Siva Israel, maybe you want to answer his question about what's being done for education for sustainability in Israel. Um, there's a good deal of education, unfortunately. Uh, most of it has to do with um, experiential uh, activities to get children close to nature. Less of it is in terms of exactly what we need to do in order to reduce our our consumption of, of energy usage. Um, conservation is less discussed in Israeli schools than uh, getting close to nature. And part of what needs to be done is essentially to bring down 
the information that you're, that you're giving us to bring it down to the level of children so that they understand what they actually need to do. Um, that's part of what Sriva Israel is doing, and that's also part of what uh, other uh, other environmental education organizations are starting to do. But that, that's part of, up until now, a good deal of Israeli environmental education activity had to do with getting out to nature, the, the more uh, experiential attitude. Less explaining, talk is what we need to do in order to conserve. Okay, we have another presentation this evening, so we'll take one more question and we'll wrap it up. No, no, I'm sorry, he's the, it's from him, sir. Yeah, we'll try to question later also. First of all, I think maybe the time has come to look into the mirror and to stop saying light onto the nations. First of all, with the Holocaust Zionist movement has a lousy history, the sabotage rescue. We don't deal really very well with the Darfur refugee problem. We have genocide deniers, we don't recognize the Armenian genocide, and many other things we could say. They abandoned the Christians in Lebanon and they drew from there, we threw them to the dogs. It's a statement. Not a reality. What happened in Israel with Agassi's uh, program for 100,000 uh, recharging uh, sockets? Uh, ben Ali has said that he has a plan, he made a bombastic statement every year to do something big in the Negev in terms of uh, renewable energy. Um, and then a technical question, what do you think is the benefit of using algae in terms of sequestration of uh, carbon dioxide? Okay. A lot of very questions. I'll give you quick answers. I'll leave the first one for last, though. With regards to the Agassi car uh, notion, this is an entrepreneur who's supposed to be partnering with the government. I have to buy an, a new car. And I went to the head of air pollution at the Ministry of Environment and said, I was thinking of buying a, a hybrid. I don't know if I can get the money together, but maybe I should wait for one of the Agassi cars. And he smiled and he said, buy the hybrid. A... By the time those cars go online, you'll be spending years uh, waiting for the bus. And secondly, he said, electricity in Israel is so dirty to have an electrical car doesn't do any good for the environment right now until we clean up our, because we have all these coal fire plants. Second question had to do with the fiat. It is moving ahead, and apparently it'll be two, three years in the going. But by then, like I said, it'll, it'll be, will be passed because GM will be commercial with the Volt. Um, with regard. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a wonderful plan. They should have done it two years ago. It's I think it's still going, from what I heard. I he was at the president he was at Paris's conference and talking as it was going. Second thing, uh, Fuad's uh, proclamations about big project in the Negev. So he said. I mean, Ari Sharon said he was going to put seven billion shekels into Negev development, and we got twenty five million, maybe it depends. But it was money was going there anyway. So I don't wouldn't expect it. As far as I can tell, yes. I mean, there may be an Eshalim, a small solar plant to come out of this, maybe, we hope. Uh, the third question was algae. Algae as a source of carbon sequestration. I'm at, at Ben Gurion uh, University. Stable Care Campus has a special algae growing program. And every week, another entrepreneur comes, and these are the best algae entrepreneurs in the world. There are some factories for algae, but they're to make special kinds of uh, pigments for, for, uh, for salmon. And when we talk about it, it's just not there yet. The idea is there because algae can double itself in a day. So the ability to grow things, but right now, right now, they, the, the experts say, we would love to say we're there, but we don't think we're there yet in terms of there's some technical problems that they, they've come up with it. And as far as uh, our not being a light into the nations, all I can say is, oi va voi, if we lose sight of where we're supposed to be, you know. And uh, reality also, we're supposed to be not there. 
Well, all I can say, what did they, Oscar Wilde, you say you lie in the gutter and you look at the stars. And, um, uh, no. Well, look, our, if we look, open up our Bible, we could see our, 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 our history is laden with disappointments, but that doesn't mean we lose the, 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 the ideal. Well, change the reality and be involved and, 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 and that's the challenge that we can make Israel the country. It's something to, it's something to aspire to. And with that, I'm going to, even though he is, uh, didn't ask me to, I'm going to introduce our next speaker.